And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Hello and welcome to The Great Movies Pod, a retrospective film review show, the podcast where we watch and discuss each of the films covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Nick Fulton. I'm Dylan Quare. And I'm Jana Gardner. And today we are discussing 1937's La Grande Trick. That's an illusion, Michael. Uh, <laughs> I got it. I got it. It's not great. No, it's, I think it's great. It's good enough. Once I got what you were going for. Yeah. 1937's La Grande Illusion, which is, uh, I'm doing the French pronunciation, which is just pronouncing it in English, but adding la at la, the beginning. La Grande Illusion, the French title. <laughs> and it's made by a lot of people, and with my apologies to the nation of France and all French-speaking people around the world. <laughs> it was directed by Jean Renoir. Written by Jean Renoir and Charles Spack. Cinematography by Christian Mattress. Co-edited by Martha Huguet and Marguerite Renoir. Um, and the latter was John Renoir's longtime partner, who they never married, but she insisted on taking his last name, mm-hmm. which is why her last name is Renoir. All right. um, and it stars Eric von Stroheim, Marcel Dalio, Pierre Fresne, Dita Parlo, and Jean Gavin. Uh, so... Dylan, you have seen this before. Yes, sir. Um, what did you think of Grand Illusion before revisiting it this week? I thought it was pretty damn good. Um, I've only seen two Renoirs. It's maybe the director I most like have been slacking on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely my least favorite of the two because the rules of the game is <laughs> it rules. The other one. Yeah. That's in um, this book, right? We're, we're going to get to that? I believe so. Is it in this book? I know it's in one of his books. But yeah, I definitely would have drafted it if it were not same. in yeah. one of the books. Uh, I, th- I think all three of us. I was going to say, yeah. Oh, okay, maybe it's not in this book. It's Maybe it's in the next one. Come on, dude. 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 Raj. Oh, Raj. Anyway. Um, yeah, but I, I think he has a really good uh, tone on sort of the classist and... Um, humanist goings on in France post World War One and then post World War Two. And I think this is a really good uh place to approach that from. Yeah. And Jana, you had not seen this before, but you had seen Rules of the Game, and I know you're like a huge fan of Rules yeah, of the Game. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, that, that was like I watched that a little over a year ago, sort of like early pandemic, like what's a movie to watch? Um and yeah, big fan. And so this is my second Renoir movie. Um, and you were right to say that if I liked Rules of the Game, I would like this also. Obviously, there's just mm-hmm. a lot of similar vibes. A little bit less um, less wacky, I guess I would say. Yeah, less, yeah. Less yeah. of a farce. Um, so it had this, you know, but it but it did have some of that energy, at least in some of the, the earlier scenes and, you know, yeah, the, and the vaudeville I, type stuff. I was going to say, there is a scene in which, like, all of the dudes are dressed up as well. Yes, exactly. So it, it had some of that energy. Um, but yeah, and so this was my my first time watching it. I will say, if I have one yeah. complaint about this movie, is I struggle sometimes with like keeping my energy up through it for some parts of it. it. Yeah, 
it, it's it's interestingly paced, and I don't mean that as like some sort of weird backhand. In- yeah, it's not. <laughs> in- I don't mean interesting backhand. as an insult. I just mean it is kind of interestingly paced how it spends a little bit of time at each of these different locations and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I saw this for the first time only last year, and every year I make a list of like my favorite first watches from the past year, and I th- I know it was in the top ten. I forget where exactly, but it was it was up there because uh, I I really. Like this movie on first watch and still like it on second watch, not to. Do you remember if it was above or below Colonel Blimp, which is a movie that I was comparing it with you, given I the Ebert think, essay? I think Colonel Blimp was my number one first watch from okay, last year, so it had to have been below. I yeah. think it was Colonel Blimp, then Brief Encounter, then Brighter Summer Day. Or two and three might have been flipped. I'm, I don't know. Goat it's movies. All, it's all, uh, it doesn't matter like the order of any of that stuff rules little... of the game is in book two okay i, I was just trying to look that up actually yeah uh, so i i found this on um the wikipedia page and there's actually a youtube clip of it so on the dick cavett show oh sure um he was interviewing orson wells mm. and he he asked him if you could take two or three movies um he says on the arc for posterity. I'm, I'm guessing he means in like a, a an end times situation. If you only You're getting have the opportunity. Noah's Ark. Yeah. T- animals get on two by two, including two movies, apparently. <laughs> two movies. Yeah. Um, so he, he asked him what he would bring. And he says, Le Grand Illusion by Renoir and something else. That's that, it? He just said something else? He, he goes, and something else. <laughs> Wow. And then uh, they go, they cut to commercial, and after the commercial break, he says, the something else, of course, is the film directed by James Cruz with Rada LaRocca, and what's, what he, it sounds like he says Korean Griffith, and then just says, look it up. And then that's the end of the show. And during the closing credits, you can hear him say to Dick Cavett, and they'll look it up. And Dick Cavett says, you've just pulled a hoax on the public. So his two movies are... Grand Illusion, and this movie that he made up. <laughs> oh, God. That's a real F or fake sort of moment. I was going to say, that, that, I, that does not surprise love, me in the least. I love Orson Welles so much. God, what a legend. Um, He's so great. I was assuming, because he mentions in the Ebert essay that like the Grand Illusion was one of the two he'd bring on the arc. I was like, make way for tomorrow, stagecoach, like trying to think of like the big uh, Orson Welles... Uh, movies and um i guess make up movie is the most orson welles (laughs) movie you could pick there because i tried i didn't hear what they said the first time i watched it so i tried looking this movie up because there was a director named james cruz and um i looked through half of his filmography before uh not coming up with anything and uh looking at the youtube comments of the video and they're like oh that orson always so he did he said they'll look it up and uh, probably 40 years later still worked on you yep still still got my ass um, not, um, not to fact check you on your own opinions nick but uh, grand illusion was apparently your 10th favorite first watch of last year uh, so top 10 yeah so top 10 yeah but there's a top lot 10. of i'll take it there's a lot of good I'll stuff in there's there. some bangers in there yeah you had a satin tango ahead of it mm. Yeah, we really should be reviewing Satin Tango on this yeah, podcast. Fun movie, oh just I, for I got, I got sleepy just looking at that poster. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna. That, if you think that's sleepy, <laughs> wait until you watch it for seven and a half hours with <laughs> nothing happening. Oh my god! 
just the weird. <laughs> Janice Ooh, yawning thinking about it. Yeah. There's just like cows walking around for 10 minutes. Not exaggerating. That's just a part of the movie. It's a banger. Yeah, cool movie. Uh, so back to <laughs> Grand Illusion. A couple other uh, notable things in its history since we don't have Oscar stuff to talk about. It is the number one Criterion Collection spine number. Yep. It it's is? Not their f- yep. Yeah, it's not their first release. I don't know when they started spine numbering okay. things, but it's number one. It only has a DVD release. And I'm pretty sure it's one of the, I haven't looked to to try to get it, but I'm pretty sure it's one of the ones where it costs like a hundred bucks to get a DVD. If uh, if you're, I think Seven Samurai was their the, first official release. That's what I was gonna say. I always thought it was Seven Samurai. And Seven Samurai is so, no, listed as number two. Yeah. Yeah. What I, what I found actually was that um, their first release of anything was uh, a laser disc of Citizen Kane. Oh mm. yeah, I actually think I might have known that. Yeah, but like speaking of Orson Welles on actual technology that stuck around more than five years. Sure, but Criterion, a lot of the Criterion's laser discs were a big deal. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of people that still have a, like Criterion laser discs. Um, but yeah, yeah, that that was a real flash in the pan technology. Yeah, respect to those people though. I feel like uh, I'm not I'm not hip enough to even. I think you'd also have that to I've... be at least ten to fifteen years older than you are to have caught that train. <laughs> Right, right. I I barely know how to handle like vinyl records. I don't know that I would even know what to do with a laser disc if I was. <laughs> I always assume they're just one. like gigantic C- DVDs. DVDs. Yeah, right. Is that <laughs> I, not right? I think so. Is that not how they work? We had I have no the idea. only time I ever watched laser discs was one like one classroom I was in that had like a laser disc player, and we would watch like science documentaries on laser disc. Hmm. So that was my entire familiarity with the technology. And then on the uh, most recent critics poll, oh, yes. which is now 11, or, or not 11 years old, nine years old, um, it was number 73 on the critics poll from the Sight and Sound uh, British Film Institute and 59 on their director's poll. Mm. And it included votes from Woody Allen mm. and Andre Zulowski, the guy who directed Possession. Okay. <laughs> A lot of which real is, normal people. I was going to say, yeah, some real yeah. chill dudes. Yeah, um, and then on the 1952 poll, it was like just out of the top ten, actually. Or no, just out of the top. They did a top. Oh, well, they did a top ten, but it was there's three way tie for number ten, <laughs> so it was just outside of the top ten. Anyways, so going on to the movie, this takes place during World War One. It's a 1937 movie, so it's like obviously on the brink of World War Two, about the prior world war and Mm -hmm. it opens with french soldiers who are looking at like an aerial reconnaissance photo that one of them had taken and they're they see a smudge or something Mm -hmm. that they need to investigate um and renoir actually fought in world war one and that was sort of his job was doing the photo reconnaissance Mm -hmm. missions so two of the soldiers um I don't ever actually have their names written down. Let me pull their names up because I kept just referring to them as uh, I had like shortcuts because uh, trying to write down the French names over and over again was not going to work for me. <laughs> Maréchal, who is John mm-hmm. Gabin's uh, character, and then Boldieu, who's the captain and is uh, the higher ranking and more aristocratic type guy, mm-hmm. are going to go on this this recon mission. Apparently, um, John Gabin at this time was uh super popular he was likened to jock depardieu in the 80s oh wow 
Yeah, he kind of has like he has like a movie star energy. Like that, mm-hmm. that I felt that watching it, having never seen this or been familiar with him at all, he felt like I was like, yeah, this guy feels like a like a movie star. Like the camera was just very. Uh, uh, he, he plays well on camera, I guess. When I saw this for the first time last year, I was like, oh, it's that guy. I've seen that guy in like tons of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at his letterbox or like his filmography uh-huh. on letterbox and uh, had never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite things about him is the uh, letterbox poster um, is like an illustration of him and uh, Stroheim on it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. his hair looks like completely wavy and uh, yeah, layered yeah. and beautiful. But then that's just how he actually looks in the movie. That's like it, not like an artistic exaggeration. That, mm-hmm. That's what was so funny to me too. Like when the movie started, I'm like, oh, it's the guy from the poster. Like it's like I would, did not expect him <laughs> mm-hmm. to so closely resemble like the painted illustration from the poster. Seriously, and that's like when I saw him, I, I wondered, is that why I recognize him? I, he's just the guy from the poster, <laughs> and that's how I know him. And apparently, he must be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm realizing that for a really long time when I had like familiar with this artwork, the poster that's on Letterboxd anyway, which is different than the poster that's on Wikipedia. Um, I realized that for a long time, I just I thought he was wearing a crown like when you when it's little and tiny because it is that like golden kind of wavy hair on top i thought it was a guy with a crown kind of makes sense yeah and then um, but that's just his hair that's just his hair just his uh, gaboon know how to flowing locks you had the hair so one one last thing on him is uh, I have a quote from Renoir who said I've worked with many actors and I've never encountered such mastery of the medium mm. as as Gavin interesting so, what a go yeah. and and he's and he's so good on this yeah he's very good so they uh, they go on this recon mission and then we cut immediately to Eric von Stroheim who's a German uh, officer of of some kind talking about how he just shot down some French people and he proceeds to just slam back a bunch of shots. <laughs> Indeed. This is quite a and, drunk movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we never actually see their plane get shot down. We just hear about it. Um, apparently they just didn't have the finances to film a plane being shot down, which makes sense. I, mean, I get it. Yeah, like I kind it of still thought blows I'd... my mind that there is finances to have planes get shot down that, in movies. Good, yeah. good point. I, I almost kind of thought I'd missed it, where I was like, what? you know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, and they shot the plane down. I was like, oh, okay, uh, sure, <laughs> all right. Hey, it's effective. You don't, we don't, we can take their, you don't, yeah, yeah, we can take yeah. their word for it. I believe them, even if we don't see the, the plane get shot. And down. And the plane being shot down is so like inconsequential, like how they're. It's just they are captured. Right. Exactly. Um, all we need to know is that they were captured. So. Uh, von Stroheim's character finds out that they're like higher ranking officers and basically says, hey, invite those guys back. We've got French guests and they're super pleasant mm-hmm. to the French guys. And they're like at one point during their meal, um, like one of the German soldiers is cutting. Um, oh. Yeah. Cutting his meat for his him. Meat. He he his, arm. his meat. For he's him got a... his arms in a sling. Yeah. yeah. And he's like happy to do it. He's like, oh, here, let me take care of that for you. And like, okay. The relationship between the officers is so weird that I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, wait, did I miss something? Are these people on right. opposite sides? Like, <laughs> yeah. Just the, what is going on? Just the level of respect from officer to yeah. officer, yeah. Um, yeah, and there's also a moment where they, they pull out like a wreath for a French soldier who'd been killed, and it's like, unlike any war... Thing you that, I love that, the Bond's re- like reaction to that. That moment was wreath. so strange. So they the, they're bringing in a wreath to 
commemorate a French soldier yeah. who was killed? Okay. Yeah. And then they like they're like we apologize for the awkwardness of this timing, and then they all kind of like <laughs> sit there silently. It was that was such a strange moment, and yeah, like nothing I've ever seen in any war movie. Yeah, it is. It's bizarre what the whole i mean not the whole movie but what a large part of what this movie is about is like trying to show um like how people would see war as like aristocratic and and like gentlemanly almost even though um that's all like i think that's what the grand illusion is that that war is not this chivalrous thing it's bullshit and and what that had always been true um throughout the history of all wars um but it's really it's very striking having it be in a world war one movie which is sort of like mm-hmm. right the the dawn of like modern warfare mostly um you know and when you think about world war one i think most people think about trench warfare and gas mm-hmm. and like all this stuff that is like the sort of what has transformed war into like this just the modern hideousness that it is and to contrast that with these guys like sitting around a table cutting each other's meat it's like okay but there's guys out there who are like just getting mowed down in trenches what are we doing yeah. and and that coupled with this being made in the mid to late 30s mm-hmm. on the brink of world war Two, and then like the french and yeah and uh, having German the germans dynamics. be so um just you know kind and respectful yeah. and it's so strange yeah, and a lot of that is, especially with the Eric von Stroheim character, is class-based too, which we'll yeah. get to sort of in the, the second half of the, the movie. It gets much more into that, mm-hmm. um, which, like we were saying before, seems to be a big topic of of Renoir's, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and especially in Rules of the Game. And th- that's definitely, I think, where the movie works best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so they get taken to a POW camp, um, which seems a little bit more pleasant than uh, a POW camp has a connotation of nowadays yeah. because they have to salute the German soldiers, but they're still treated according to their rank and they mm-hmm. get nice packages and yeah, you can they have eat your, better than the Ger- some of them eat better than the German soldiers. You can have your wealthy parents send you care packages at yep. the POW mm-hmm. camp. Like that was, uh, that was very striking. Yeah, I, I and I, I would imagine that that is that true. Like, was that historically accurate? I like he I mean, he fought in World War One. Right. I, I assume he around for it. He I, would know better than me. Yeah, and I as and I assume so only because like I, yeah, it it would just stand out. Like, obviously, if that wasn't true, I think that would have been very obvious to people. And it's not played like it's a joke or anything. It's played right, like it's normal. Right. Yeah. Um. So the two French guys who were first introduced to uh, Bourdieu and Marshall are kind of bunked with a, a handful of other French guys. Um, most notably is Rosenthal, who's the one who's um, a Jewish character, sort of nouveau riche, like neither of his parents were from France, mm-hmm. um, but they're in France now and they're bankers, I think. Is mm-hmm. that what they're? Yeah, they're, they're bankers, yeah. yeah. Um, so they have a ton of money which is getting them great food. <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, all these French guys are at night trying to dig a tunnel to get out of the prison camp. Mm-hmm. A la uh, movies we'll see years down the line, like yeah. Great Escape. and Yeah, it was very I, surprising to me how directly Great Escape lifted from this. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. Like, 
incredibly just directly. I'm like, it's like I'm watching The Great Escape. The exact movie same layout of the cabin, the trapdoor. Same layout of the cabin, same with the trapdoor. Then, and as Ebert calls it out in his essay, the thing. same way that they get, you know, get go to the, the edge of the fence to get rid of the dirt. Like, yep. um, yeah, I have and, uh, no idea. Andy Dufresne does the same thing in Shawshank, huh? too, doesn't he? I, does He like he drops rocks out of the cuff yeah. of his yeah, pants. Out of his yes, hands. that's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I love their, their kind of lo-fi setup mm-hmm. of... They dig with a candle, and if the candle goes out, it means you're about to suffocate. <laughs> hey, you know, it's, uh, that's good thinking. Yeah. Um, so, and, and we do see an instance where, um, like, one guy goes outside to sort of look around to see what the soldiers are doing while um, the one guy is uh, digging, and the candle does go out, and they have a little can on a string that's supposed to be the alarm but it lands on the bed everyone else is looking outside and um they have to dig him out he manages to not die Mm -hmm. good for him fortunately (laughs) um but it it does show like the the sacrifice that they're making and how dangerous digging a tunnel actually is in addition to getting caught Mm -hmm. the process of digging the tunnel itself is uh life-threatening um what else? So the men get um, a box of clothing and they uh, start planning this like vaudeville show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one of the best sequences of the first half. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, we skip cause something? I, no, because because one of, and one of the prisoners too like was a performer in his previous yeah. Pre-war if we skipped life, anything, right? yeah. I think mm-hmm. it's that they go to a second camp. In between, is it? No, this is this is all the. Uh, Yeah, because then they're then they're moved. Yeah, then they're moved after, which you know, obviously interrupts their uh, (laughs) attempt to escape. Um, But yeah, this all happens at the. Okay. Oh, I I know what I I skipped, and it was it was just uh, there's a scene like when they're talking about wanting to escape, Mm. when they're each saying why they want to escape, that I think is like kind of a great dialogue scene, and the ones just. Like I'm, I'm kind of bored, and I want to do it for the fun of it. Um, the other one is more out of defiance. Mm-hmm. Um, the one says, "I hate being in here when others are out there biting the dust." Mm-hmm. And the last guy, and I forget which character it is. I, I think it might be Boldio. Says, uh, "A golf course is for golf. A tennis court is for tennis. A prison camp is for escaping." <laughs> true. That's and, true. That's yeah, good. I just love that line. Okay. Um, so the there's a fort that the Germans take. I, I don't know uh, anything about Verdun. World War I. Yeah. Yeah. So Isn't there? <laughs> I assume that that was like a real no, thing. Verdun, is that the, I was going to say. Um, is that the battle that um, uh, Dita Parlo's husband dies at too? I know it as the battle they reenact in Live, Die, Repeat. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you. They fight Verdun. Thank you. I was trying to remember. I was like, what movie do I associate this with? And unfortunately, yeah, the answer is, in fact, Edge of Tomorrow because they're back at Verdun. Yeah. Verdun, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I was like, wow, I'm so proud of myself for having like some knowledge of World War I. <laughs> it's no, it's the out. Tom Cruise alien movie. Yeah, you know what? It's good. Um, if it wasn't for the movie 1917, I wouldn't even know when World War I takes place. Wow. Well, that's <laughs> I'm, I'm, exa- I'm, exa- I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I'm historic. Yeah. That, that was a really good line, though. If you could have just left it and just... 
<laughs> history is not my strong suit. No. Uh, mi- military, like war, military history, and like re- having to remember like battles and when they took place, like that was never mm-hmm. like I'm never my strong suit. Yeah, it's tough stuff. This is a long uh, battle. Sorry, I'm just reading the Wikipedia page for the Battle of Verdun. It is <laughs> detailed. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. There's a subcategory so, called morale. Guess what? Morale was bad. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Jesus. Well, especially after they're taunted by a bunch of uh, French soldiers. Oh, no. <laughs> Shit. I wanted to hear what Nick had to say. We lost him. Wait, you lost oh, him? Oh, yes. You're back. Back. You said especially, and then you froze. <laughs> oh, I said especially after being taunted by a bunch of French soldiers and drag. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bad for everybody's morale. Oh. Uh, so the the fort does get taken by the Germans, and they have like the celebration party that involves the soldiers who they've captured putting on this uh, vaudeville variety show, where the one guy who's like an actual vaudevillian um, sings a song for them about being in love with a woman, mm-hmm. and then he gets all the audience to play along and then they sing it's a long way to Tipperary mm-hmm. which yeah. um, do you guys have like a, a, a cultural touchstone for what that might be from that is in no way uh, probably what it should be known as I was trying to remember and when I was watching the movie and I could not think of what I know it from so I know I know I, the name I always think of it as um, in the Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie uh, um, it's what Crow T robot is singing while he's like trying to break out of the satellite of love. He's like uh, got a pickaxe and he's singing that song while he's trying to break out the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think I've ever seen that movie. Oh, it's uh. good. It's a good movie. So it, apparently it was like a, a, a marching song mm. that was popular amongst British soldiers in the first world war. Mm. Yeah. So during, during, um, this little show they get a newspaper apparently and it says that the fort has been retaken by the french mm-hmm. so they uh they stop the show they feel a little patriotic mm-hmm. yeah and then we get another um our second uh, instance da, da, so far in this book of uh, <laughs> la marseille's yeah. being and this sung in defiance of front uh, of uh, German people right. who get real mad. So this, I'm, I'm assuming this also, like the Great Escape, is a situation of like a backward influence where Casablanca must have been informed by this, and I just am seeing mm. these out of order. Um, I will say this: this one did not make me cry the way the one in Casablanca does. I think it's because you don't have the close up on like a sad lady or like a you know mm-hmm. determined lady or Victor Laszlo singing or with, Victor like, all Laszlo. His heart. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, still good though. Yeah, I, I really like it. Yeah. I think it's great. No, it is. It, it's it's hard to top the way it's done in yeah. Casablanca, but. but it's also it's also just like what a good anthem. Imagine having a like national anthem that's just not a objectively terrible song to listen to. Oh my god, <laughs> it seems like it'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, even Fergie could have. Uh... <laughs> God, I always forget about. I really poor want Fergie. Fergie's Le Marseille rendition now. Poor, poor Fergie. <laughs> Does uh, anyone it, want to try to do it? Absolutely not. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> absolutely I'm not. not. Do that. Um. So, uh, Marshall, because of his having interrupted the show, I guess, 
Is that why? Because he's not even the one who starts I, singing. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. He does not really seem like the rabble rouser in this situation, but he's the one who gets the consequences. Yeah. So he gets thrown into solitary mm-hmm. and um, he, he does almost get out for a second. He manages to break out in the clumsiest way possible on the uh, German officer's <laughs> behalf. Mm-hmm. He just, the German officer goes into his cell and then gets locked in there like an idiot yeah that, that's like how you escape from a jail cell in a cartoon basically <laughs> like that was that's something that would happen to bugs bunny yeah um and then like almost immediately at, like he, he runs out and then they just drag him back in like 20 seconds later yeah. um and then right after that we see that the germans have taken the fort back again <laughs> and um then we go back to the jail cell marshall now has a beard so he's been time in there has passed for a minute yeah the, the, it's like the uh the john mulaney joke of he, he saw somebody and this time he was wearing glasses to signify that time passed. <laughs> yes <Yeah. laughs> the the just genuine male biology of oh look they have a beard now is always very helpful cinematically it's mm. it's a very effective way to show that time has has gone by when no nothing else about the person's appearance would necessarily change yep yeah i do think this movie does a pretty good job of like not just with that but in general signifying how much time mm-hmm. they've been in um like you get the sense that it's been about a year and a half and then they like mention it occasionally as opposed to, I mean, we just talked about the Godfather where the kid gets older every time you see him <laughs> God. or uh, what did we talk about last week? They have like five actors for the same person. Oh, oh in, God. Like, gone with the, both the wind where it just cuts back and the kid is like three years older than they were two scenes ago. And you're like, what? What's happening? <laughs> you want to know? You okay. know why. It's because she was on that beach. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's the answer to everything. They were just sneaking off to the beach. and uh... How many old memes can we have on this pod oh before uh, when, when that movie gets old? When Dylan, you're the only one who's seen when you, it. So. I know. Dylan, when you stepped away for 30 seconds, I literally was like scrolling through old memes. Um, can't get oh, enough. they're so good. Can't get enough. They're, and it's fun because they're, they're good whether you've seen the movie or not. It doesn't matter. You can enjoy really? the memes yeah. no matter what. I mean, the memes are... S- I haven't even seen a trailer for the movie, but I know it's about a beach that makes you... Hurt. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, all all you you, that's really all you need to know. And that's really like... All that's that all the memes is. are right, and that's all the is movie it? is. <laughs> like, it's about a so that makes you I, old. I don't, I don't want to see a trailer before mm-hmm. I see the movie yeah, itself. So good maybe, idea. maybe this is obvious to anyone who has even seen the trailer. Mm-hmm. But is it like a, an exterminating angels type vibe where it's just like we can't explain it? It's a thing. Um, speech. I mean, I'm not gonna like spoil Ish. what happens. Yeah, in the yeah, movie, yeah. Without spoil. But uh, that is that is actually at least for how it sort of feels watching it. That is kind of like uh, exterminating angels. Not a bad comparison for for some of the vibe. Uh, Right. On, on on that beach, um, yeah. If you think you're gonna watch it, I do recommend avoiding the trailers. Even though I watch trailers and don't care about spoilers, there's just a couple of like, as usual, like the most visually interesting sequences are, of course, in the trailer. And so, yeah. if you can not see them, then sure. that's probably better. I almost never watch trailers. Like I almost always try to avoid. Trailers. I I love trailers. I watch them. I like, love trailers all too. the time, and I totally get like why it's good. Like people who don't watch them at all, it's like. It's probably a good thing because yeah they do always give away to them. tons of stuff i tell people don't watch trailers but then i turn exactly around and watch oh, trailers absolutely i would say don't watch. yeah every once in a while if sort of like like and this is so silly but like 
when I went to see Escape Room 2, like, last weekend. I knew I was going to see it. But, like, the only good thing about those movies is, like, the surprise of the, like, the inventive sequences, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that's one of those ones where the trailer start. I was somewhere in the trailer Like a started. Final Destination sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's, like, so gotcha. th- I, that's where I was, like, I'm definitely not watching that trailer because, like, what's the point? Like, if I'm going to watch the trailer, I'll have seen the movie. So yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not really about the execution so much. No. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, like... Like the Dune trailers, I've seen the Dune trailers so many times. Just same. Yeah, I haven't even seen the new one. Yeah. Oh, I know that. Uh, uh what's his name? Uh, Momoa like makes a joke, and a bunch of people got like real upset that he made a joke. It's even funny. though the other critic. It, it, it's pe- a very people are like, Marvel why is he making sort of joke? Yeah, people are like, why is he making jokes? Is this a Joss Whedon thing? And then the other criticism I saw of it was, this looks too humorless. So people are just yes, people are going to find something to be mad about. Um. I saw, yeah, the, we'll get back on topic in a second, I promise. I was going to mention this later, but it's a trailer story. Um, <laughs> last night, I saw the trailer for Annette on the big screen um, with, like, a big crowd, you know? And, wow, did people not know what to make of the Annette trailer. <laughs> like, I, I'd seen it before, um, but I, I could tell pretty much everybody else was seeing it for the first time. And uh, there was a lot of confused muttering at the end of the Annette trailer. It was pretty funny. Um, they needed to have Adam Driver turn to the audience and do the "What's your problem?" Yeah, in it's the a, trailer. Yeah, it's a pretty good uh, trailer, but yeah, people it's people in the trailer. crowd were uh, <laughs> very so confused. <laughs> they were just like, "What?" Yeah, it's gonna be here so soon too. It's coming out in like two weeks. Two Is weeks? It? Yeah, it's like August sixth. What? That can't well, be right. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I, I don't, I don't not actually believe you. I'm just I, saying, I think like, it's wow, theaters August sixth, and it'll be on August sixth, like a couple weeks later. Is it going to be like in theaters um, for two theaters in LA I, and one I in New York? I apologize that I only know release dates that are when I can see a movie, <laughs> so that is not not helpful to the general public. Mm. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. I wonder if it'll get a uh, like a Whoa. simultaneous streaming release. It's, 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 it's going to hit Prime a couple weeks later, I think. I think it ha- it's exclusive, like two weeks theatrical, and then it'll, then it'll be on Prime because it is an Amazon movie. Okay, I'm oh, trying yeah. to figure out the. And it release date, but then it just says in the cast on Google it says Leo Carrick says Leo Carrick. Probably. That yeah. That, I mean, that I sounds like it yeah, makes like sense. I, I, Sparks is in the movie. For he all I have... know, I think they're probably just playing themselves. Like it's it seems it seems a little meta. It seems like a strange movie. I mean, Holy Holy Motors had Kylie Minogue in it, and it also features a Kylie Minogue song, like in a party scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, sorry. Also, the rest of that movie <laughs> is like very self-reflexive. I need to watch Holy Motors. I've seen like clips and sequences. I've seen like the Kylie Minogue scene, and and I've seen the like, accordion scene. Like I need to actually the accordion scene. The accordion scene. Yes. I need to sit down and actually, actually watch it though. Actually, that that uh, the accordion song is a uh, a cover of um, an R.L. Burnside song called um, "Let My Baby Ride," Ooh, which I love that featured, tune. Yeah, it featured in a uh, an episode of The Sopranos, like early on oh. uh, i just bought the record actually like nice three days ago two days ago that's awesome Annette is coming to new mexico baby hey congratulations one theater in santa fe let's fucking go you should i'm go. driving an hour for you it you should totally go i'm gonna go an hour for the first showing an 11 a.m matinee of Annette. <laughs> i really hope so i i really really hope that Annette seems like the kind of movie that'll play at the landmark out here which is where like when stuff does play at like one theater that's where it plays um, and that's where I've just seen a lot of, like, old, like, 
industry moviegoer types uh, walk out of strange movies. Like, I, that's like my theater where like people walked out of Drive and people walked out of Mother and people walked out of Tony Erdman. Um, and Tony uh, Erdman? Yeah. Um, Boo. I mean, if, if you are. I get walking. I like Mother. I get walking yes. out of Mother, though. Yes. Um, yeah, some of those I well, get walking out. But. I get, well, I, I mean, I think with, well, one, Tony Erdman is long as hell, but really um, I think they might have walked out in the cupcake scene. I think it might have offended their sensibilities. Um, I don't want to describe what happens in the cupcake scene. because yeah. it, No, go ahead, Janet. I, I, I would rather not. Um, but, sorry, final, final, final digression, but I meant to tell you. I guess I'd forgotten certain scenes about Tony Erdman, and yeah, that actually. It, it's it's like, a, if If you're. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, if you're an old person with delicate sensibilities. Um, final trailer digression, but at that same theater where I was on Friday night, there was an old old dude, elderly gentleman, sitting in like the accessibility row, which was the row in front of me, who clapped at the end of every trailer just by himself. Just every trailer oh, yeah. ended. What a bro. And he just clapped at the end of every trailer. But I want to be that guy's friend. Uh, he seemed like he was having a great time. He also... I mean, people always clap at the end of movies there, but like he clapped after like every name in the credits. But the the audience joined in with him clapping at the end of only one trailer. Um, can you guess what that trailer was? Uh, the, the the context being that we were seeing old, so you know we were seeing movies that were similar vibes. Newish. Um, Dune. No. Green Knight. No. Zola. Halloween Kills. What the fuck. <laughs> That was the one trailer the that the audience joined in clapping. I think it's because the Hall- like the Halloween theme music kicks on, and people gotcha. just get hyped. Okay. Like, I mean, just the, the and, and people just like started. I I started laughing. I couldn't believe it because I'd watched him solo clap after the Green Knight trailer, solo clap after the Candyman trailer, and then the Halloween Kills trailer plays, and the rest of the theater audience joins in clapping. It was so weird. <sighs> Don't get me wrong. I'm going to watch that movie, but uh, yeah, and Halloween Kills might be awesome. It's just it was out just, of all the trailers, of all why? the trailers to join in, and I was like, okay, all right, people, people are psyched for that movie. Uh, what if it was like the Nine Days trailer? <laughs> that would have been so funny. <laughs> uh, that would have been great. Um, no, people were people were hyped. Uh, Anyway, sorry. That's enough of a. I'm sorry, Nick. We we. Yeah, we I know. It. Poor Nick loves this movie. You're doing a like, great job keeping us oh. on topic for once. Let me tell more stories. Okay. I'm fine. I like, <laughs> he I says like, so. I like, I like the I like the stories of uh, cinema bringing people together. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it it sure does. Even though, uh, oh my god, that was an awful audience though. Um, anyway, was it? Yeah. No it, no, it reminded me of um the first time we saw the room in theaters, mm-hmm. like. It was packed, and they they like filled everyone in maybe twenty minutes before the movie even started. Mm-hmm. And there was a girl walking around who started calling to, like, some dude who she knew who was, like, twenty seats away from her or something. Oh, She's like, "Hey, Steven," and he, this is like before even trailers have started, so it wasn't right. a big deal. Yeah, and yeah. She's like, "Hey, hey, Steven," and like she didn't hear, so she yells it again, and then probably fifty other people in the theater start yelling at this guy, going, <laughs> "Hey." Steve. <laughs> that's awesome that's great times <sighs> cinema bringing people together yeah Janet uh, was, was okay. the audience like Jack Harkness's reaction to old or were they just like who's Jack Harkness I don't know his actor's uh, name, John but Barrow. the guy that went like oh. viral on Twitter. Oh, for, oh, oh, right. I forgot the that. guy from Doctor Who. Yeah, I forgot. That was so weird. I like John Barrowman, and I was like, dude, why are you so riled up about old? Jesus. Um, 
But okay. no, no, um, no, the audience, I mean, so like, I, I, there's literally nothing I'd love doing more than going to the movies and sitting in a theater. I think that part of the experience is like the loud people, the people who keep walking back and forth in front of you, the people who are like talking to each other. Like I realize why people say like, why would I go to the theater and put up with that? Um, I just think it's part of the experience. But like, I just had like really loud people right behind me who kept talking to each other. And this guy who was behind me who just kept laughing loudly at stuff that was not funny. And I'm like, are you here ironically? Like, are you, you're here? You obviously <laughs> came to laugh at this movie. And like, don't, okay, I will say, the first time M. Night Shyamalan's face popped up on screen, everybody in the theater laughed. But that's just what he, that's he's he's created that situation every time, for like himself. when he pokes up in like Unbreakable or something. Yeah. It's like, hey, yeah, it's it's you know, yeah, that that was. Is it fun. early on? It's early on. Yeah, yeah. it's it's very. He early. usually pops up really early. on Yeah, in the movies. he. It's very early on. Um, that's it's smart to do that if if people are anticipating well, because, it, like the Hitchcock thing. You got to right, get it out of the way because otherwise you end up with a situation like The Village where he pops up at the very end in like the big scene that reveals what's happening and it is hilarious and it's like this is not when you want people to be laughing, buddy. <laughs> like. So I think he's a little more self-aware. But no, like, like bad things happen on the beach. And some of them are kind of gross. And some of them are pretty sad. And, like, every time someone something bad happened on the beach, dude behind me was just like, ha, 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 ha. And I'm like, guy, don't come. Like, you're fine. Okay, gotcha. Like, don't come to just, like, ironically laugh at this movie that some people here are trying to enjoy sincerely. Um, I just need to know what to expect from my viewing tonight. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, I think if you just go in, like, it's, like, I, I think as I told you guys right Shyamalan after movie. my immediate reaction was just like yeah it's Shyamalan he he leans into his thing um and so I if someone hates his whole deal I wouldn't say like hey jump in here um but it's fun it's a fun movie good yeah um all right now I'll get sorry. us back on track yes grand um, illusion they're, they're in a they're in a prison so speaking of being brought together <laughs> uh, good. Good. the dudes good the dudes are about to um, break out basically, mm-hmm. and they're like, is, is, "Doesn't it suck that Marichal is not here, and we're gonna break out without him?" Yeah. Oh well. And then, as they say that, he gets brought right back to them, and they're like, "Hey, cool. We're about to break up. Oh, no, we're not because yeah. you guys are being moved." Yeah. Jk. So close. So close. So I do love the moment when they're leaving and th- their new um. British or English speaking. Yes. Yeah, they're British. Yeah. They're uh, British. Sol- soldiers who are being brought in into their place and they're trying to say, like, hey, under the floorboards, mm-hmm. you can get yeah. out. You can go. It's like, we but, set it up for you. Yeah. But the language barrier is just too much between them because Marichal doesn't speak English and the British guy we see doesn't speak French. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's a huge bummer. It's, and it's like really the only time in the movie where language barrier is much of an issue, right? I feel like yeah. for the most part, we just see people who are able to speak each other's languages and converse. Like the mm-hmm. French and the German people, obviously, it's not a problem. So, yeah, Well, I guess at the end, oh. the last, uh, the, the very final kind of set piece, there's a, lo- a language barrier that's <laughs> overcome by uh, the power of love. Yes, <laughs> and, oh, that's true. That is true. So... Um, yeah, they're they're sent around and, and don't they like there's a, a little montage where it seems like they go to a couple places. Yeah, mm-hmm. or like they're sh- they're shipped to a few camps. Yeah, and they show they different up... like signs to kind of show that they're like at different camps. Yeah, the music they in that en- scene kind of rocks. <laughs> yeah, they end up at um, 
a camp in what looks like a castle. Oh, it's and beautiful. They, and they refer to it having been like either 14th century or 12th century. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of a debate as to like how old <laughs> some of the crap in there is. Uh, anyway, they're basically in a castle and it's being run by the Eric von Stroheim character who shot them, two of the guys down in the first place. And um, he's looking at like the list of prisoners. He recognizes their names. Mm-hmm. He's uh, not doing great in the interim. He's been promoted, but also can't do anything because he's in a cervical collar. And he looks like, um, sorry, Eric von Stroheim for what I'm about to say. He looks like um, Darth Vader after he has his helmet taken off at the end <laughs> of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, where he's got the little lip it's, that holds up yes, his head. That, it's exactly that. It's just like the bottom piece. I was like, I spent five minutes going. What does he? What does this remind me of? Who does he look like? And I was like, Oh no, I'm picturing, I'm picturing helmetless Darth Vader with that little thing up over his chin. I, I was reminded of the inspector from Young Frankenstein. That's like he moves like a like a robot. Oh uh, sure, yeah. Because like he's Rosenthal's all... like Ralphenstein. The Ralphenstein and Rosenthal. Just I kept getting those names mixed up in the movie myself, but like. Just the way he moves, like, was so stiff, and, like, the way his head is held. That's what it reminded me of. But I love the Darth Vader thing. Yeah. More. It's like, yeah, that's a much more embarrassing um, reference. But, yeah, he he looks so rough. Poor guy. By the way, we're not talking enough about Rosenthal. I think Marcel Diallo is, like, so good in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's perfect for Jean Renoir. And, mm-hmm. like, uh, he's he's the main guy in the rules of the game, right? Is he? Is he? Is he I actor? think so. Um, is there really a main guy in Rules of the Game, though? Yeah, no, but, like, he's, like, the person that owns the house that, that they go to. Um, yeah, I like um, I like his character. I like his performance a lot. He's, he's so good. I really love him he's as he's very actor. charming, and, like, cause he, the way, like, it, he could come across as really unlikable, like, talking about how wealthy and successful his family is and stuff, when he's, like, talking yeah. about, like, well, we, you know, I might not have you know, been born in France, but I already own all this property, like, more than you, like... (laughs) (laughs) Right, and it could come across as so jerky, but he just comes across as so charming that it it really helps that character a lot. So, um, Von Stroheim meets with the guys who've just been transferred, and there's a a nice moment where he goes to shake Baldio's hand, but Baldio is, like, giving him a salute, and it sort of shows how Von Stroheim thinks of them as total equals, even yes. though they're on the opposite sides of the war. Like this is somebody who he he has more in common with than he has like an antagonism towards, um, because they're basically of the same class. Mm-hmm. Like they're both um, people who, and I I don't know this. Maybe this is like a cultural thing of the time and place where it would have been more obvious to. Um, like people living in France in the thirties, but even, even without having that um, cultural landmark, like you just get the sense from the way they talk that the Boldios and the von Rothensteins are like names of old money and yes. the mm-hmm. aristocracy. So he right. has a respect, he has respect for him. This rooted in that. Whereas he, he pretty like outwardly doesn't have respect for Marischal or, or Rosenthal. And he, he says like, I know you guys keep trying to escape, I need your word that um, 
one time they're searching the room and he says, I need your word that there's nothing like untoward or like forbidden in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and he'll accept um, Boldio's word mm-hmm. for it and basically stops the search at that point. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely this divide between like old money and new money and like people who come from like, you know, titles or yeah, his sort of their families were prestigious and who, you know, maybe aren't aren't the the new wealthy class but there's a a greater respect um i'm always fascinated by stories sort of in this time period like early 20th century um digging into that divide of the you know all the the people who are in business and make money versus the just old (laughs) families who were like oh we thought we would just have money forever What, what are you guys doing why are you coming in and taking all of our money now it's like uh have you guys watched i think you should leave season two yet not yet no there's a, a, a great bit about uh, having having money, and this is how much money I have until I'm dead. <laughs> uh, so the, they also like have um, an acquaintance in common outside of the war. Like mm-hmm. uh, von Stroheim knows um, Boldio's cousin yes. from just pre pre war hanging out. Mm-hmm. And apparently, he's not doing great, or it's sort of a mixed bag. He he m- married a rich woman, but. Lost one of his arms in battle. Yeah. <laughs> Compromise. You know. Yeah. Take the good and the bad. Yeah. So if he he's had his ups and downs. This is a, a person we don't really know or care about. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, there's so much great Funstroheim stuff in here. Like the, just the way his character reacts. Like when he's first um, bringing the soldiers back, he apologizes. He's like, "Oh, I'm, I was sorry to see that." Like. You guys are coming here. That's too bad. I, I, I loved uh, Mar- um, uh, what's his name? What's Marshall? the other guy? Marshall's name or Marshall's reaction to that? Just being like, "I'm sorry too. I don't want to be here." Yeah, that was yeah, great. Like, yeah, no kidding, man. Like, yeah. we're, <laughs> I can assure we're, you, same feeling yeah, here. None of us are having a great time. Yeah. Yeah, we're in jail. You're just sad because you're not like on the front lines anymore. You weirdo. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then he says that he's like. He obviously has like the the cervical collar on, um, and he's had burns, so he needs to wear gloves. And he's been like shot in the leg or something like that too. I don't know. He's he he had a bad go of it uh, since we saw him last. Yeah. Um, I like his little flower. I like his little flower too. He's just got like the one flower there. Yeah, it's great. So they're uh, they're in the castle, and it's not just French soldiers there. There's also um, Russian soldiers, and they are told that they're getting a big package. It's like a huge crate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a uh, 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 Raiders of the Lost Ark style crate <laughs> that they think is going to be. Seem to think it's going to be vodka and caviar. Yeah, like the two, the yeah. two POW necessities. Right. Yeah. Um, but instead, it's books, literature, man. It's books. Which I think would be pretty cool to have if you're. I was gonna say, to yeah, if that. I mean, I wouldn't say no to vodka and caviar, but yeah, if you're stuck, gonna, yeah, if you're true. stuck in a prison, having books would be, uh, you'd think, one of the better things you could get sent to you. Yeah, yeah. although I could see why they would also want vodka. Yeah, and that's caviar. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, the one one thing I actually rewound this part and still didn't get because sometimes, and this may be like a, a language barrier since. I am not a French You're speaker, not so I may have, <laughs> yeah. So I may have missed things that like aren't caught in the subtitles. But 
the books get set on fire. Is it the Germans setting the book on fire, or is it the Russians setting them on fire out of being mad that it's books? I don't know that I, I can tell that either. Yeah, yeah. It just, at some point the books. The Russians. Are... Okay. Because that dude is real pissed that yeah. the books. Yeah, like so. There's one guy who's like one older guy who's like at the front of the books who seems mad about something, but I couldn't tell if he's a Russian guy mad that they're books or if it's a German guy mad that they are being sent books. Mm-hmm. Which which sort of seems like the latter seems sort of not in keeping with the way the Germans had acted. Right. It seems yeah. it seems more of what you would think of uh, Germans doing in a World War II movie rather mm-hmm. than what we've seen so far of the Germans in this movie. So I'm guessing it was the Russians setting their own books yeah. on fire, which, um, like, sure, whatever, man. Like, sorry you didn't get vodka in prison. Yeah, yeah right. Um. So while while there's like this big hubbub over um, the stuff being set on fire, Boldio says, "Hey, like, all we need is five minutes, and people can escape. Mm-hmm. Like we've se- we've seen that the German soldiers were all will all gather around like any commotion. So if right. we can create some sort of commotion, we can get out of here." Mm-hmm. So they uh, enact their plan, which is a bunch of people get flutes. <laughs> Indeed. They start, they start playing flutes, and uh, the German officers go and tell them to stop playing stop. flutes. And then they just start banging on pots and pans. <laughs> I love these scenes of them just, like, trying to figure out how to, like, yeah. keep some music and not go crazy. Yeah. Um, so there's a... a great moment where um like this is all something that Bolgio is doing so that marshall and rosenthal can escape mm-hmm. yes yeah and his uh the goodbye scene to them or Bolgio, like they're tr- they're trying to say goodbye and like be more heartfelt and he's just like no let's just get on with it like mm-hmm. very very down to business and i i like that moment um so then uh, there's a roll call being taken mm-hmm. outside after this, and they're calling off everybody's names. And they call Marshall, and they call Rosenthal, and they're like, yeah, I'm here. And um, they call Boldio's name, and he doesn't answer, and you just hear a lone flute piping off in the distance, and he's sitting on, like, the edge of the castle, like a little, uh, uh, what's the what's the guy's name from? Like a little puckish. Oh, sure. Type type guy just hey i'm sitting on the edge of the castle playing my flute mm-hmm. so i'm not sure if it's the best idea that whenever one person goes missing that they send all the guards after them yeah no it's a little, a little short-sighted yeah they, they did a yeah. great job figuring out the tactical weakness in the uh the way they handle uh or the way the guards go around because yeah it's a very easy escape opportunity yeah and uh their escape is pretty easy yeah like they just throw. They kind of like ropes. just like all right, dip. Yeah. Yeah. They throw a couple ropes over the wall and they climb down the I'll wall say, yeah. and then they leave. And uh, I've seen a lot of prison escape movies and other escape movies, and uh, never has it been so easy. Yeah. Yeah. They just kind of stroll away. I think in in my prison escape movies, I need some real challenge with how to get out of the jail, yeah. like uh, having a hot air balloon made out of um, clothing or. 
and mm-hmm. uh, go straight up through the roof and fly over. The most realistic of all uh, prison escapes. Of course, yeah. including a talking bear. Yes, exactly. Um, so the the men fire on Boldio, but they they miss him, which prompts Eric von Stroheim to intervene, and he tries reasoning with them and says, uh, "Like, what's wrong? Basically, what's wrong with you? Have you gone insane?" Mm-hmm. He's like, "No, no, I'm completely sane." Yeah. What do you guys make of them having this conversation in English? I feel like yeah. it's like the easiest language they can speak to each other because they always seem to kind of struggle with like the other's specific language. Um, yeah, but I, yeah, I don't know. That that must just be it. That it's a common language and it's not on any one person's turf i guess i don't know yeah oh, that's a good that's a good Maybe point that that's it's like, like it's like, they're each meeting each other yeah halfway. it's a it's yeah, a neutral yeah. language yeah that's that's the only thing i could think of because i feel like i mean obviously this was it's not like oh for the english-speaking audience like no it it has yeah to the extent that there was a reasoning behind it that's the only thing i could think of yeah i, I like that reading of it i i thought of it more as like um them being more upper class and like showing their multicultural multilingualism but i, I, mean, I that, like that they're so, yeah that they're sort of um like this is their compromise mm-hmm. out of respect for each other is yeah, that they're gonna yeah. neither one of them has to speak the, the other person's language, language. Yeah. yeah so i like i like that um so uh eric von stroheim ends up shooting him in the uh <laughs> my, my dog's going crazy over something oh, he shoots him he shoots him in the stomach, and then they uh, they find out that um, the two uh, French soldiers have escaped. And he's like, "Oh, that's that's why." He now, didn't go now crazy. I see he's, why you were acting out. <laughs> right. Yeah, which you would think that he would have been able to figure that out. Right. Um, yeah, I thought that too. It's like this is yeah. how did you not catch on sooner that maybe this is part of a a grander plan? Was it more this guy who you've respected and had, you know, such a connection with what's more likely that he lost his mind or that, you know, he's doing something purposefully. Lest yeah. you forget though, he gave him his, he did give word. his word that there was nothing untoward going on. That's true. So he couldn't yeah, even entertain true. the fact that maybe something was happening. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is this next one of the two of them oh, it's on so good. Uh, Boldio's deathbed. It's so good. So this movie, like, um, it's not that long. It's an hour, 50 minutes. And a lot of the, the relationship stuff, like their friendship and then the relationship with Dita Parlo at the end, which we haven't even gotten to yet, um, should feel like they're rushed, just given how much time we spend with those characters. Uh, but they never feel rushed to mm-hmm. me. And especially their friendship, I think, is fleshed out really quickly, but it's done so in such a full way that um, this this deathbed scene where yeah. they're like apologizing to each other uh, I, I think is fantastic. Yeah. It's like dudes are it's, it's the best scene in the movie for it's sure. Really good. Yeah. There, there's a line where he says like something like, "I didn't think getting shot in the stomach would hurt this much," or something along <laughs> those lines. Where I was like, "That's the one." Like, what did you think? I was say, uh, man, and I, you didn't. Granted, he he hasn't seen as many war movies as I have. Uh, <laughs> I realize that, but I was like, my understanding is that's the worst place to get yeah. shot in yeah. terms of like <laughs> feeling pain that is drawn out. Like that's where you don't want, you know. But yeah, I like the apology of him. He, he yeah, he hasn't shoot. seen the movies. But he hasn't granted, seen he was a pilot, but he was in he's the in a war. war. He, yeah, you'd think. Um, but you know, von Stroheim, he just wanted to shoot him in the leg. He didn't yeah. didn't mean to shoot him in the stomach. But yeah, and I love they're they're like apologizing to each. 
each other back and forth where he's like you would have done the same. Mm-hmm. He's like, I was aiming for your legs. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, dude, I was, I was far away. It was cloudy out. Yeah. I was running. Like it was my bad. Yeah. Um. And and I love uh, his Boldio's line. He says, "For a commoner, dying in a war is a tragedy, but for you and me, it's a good way out." Yep. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. And, I think my um, favorite scene, part of the scene, though, is at once he like dies, uh, Stroheim goes over to like the plant he was discussing he cuts, with. He cuts this flower. Yeah. 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 It's great. Aristocracy is dead. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. The- I uh, yeah, I, I love that scene. It's the scene of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Nick, are you spoiling your season finale best scene <laughs> choice for this movie? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I am, but it's so good. It is um, good. It real is. Real is. So Rosenthal and uh, Marischal are on the run. They're eating a bag of sugar. Mm-hmm. Marischal has eaten his buttons, they say. Yeah. That seems seems counterproductive. Does not seem like that would make you feel better in any way. Why? Why would you eat your barbell? Also, like... Were buttons made out of something different than what I'm imagining? Would, are they just like wood? Like, what are we like? Maybe, but even if they're wood, there's got to be something. I, yeah, I was gonna that say. To yeah, that's not. Yeah, that's like the most food adjacent thing they could be made out of. Because I'm like, they're not like stone or something. I don't, I don't so know. They're made out of like chicken nuggets or something. <laughs> you know, anything's possible. In which case, I, like, I, I get it. I told you I don't know a lot about military history, so I don't know a lot about what their uniforms were made out of. Um. There is a, a nice little moment, too, of them sort of bickering back and forth, and uh, Marshall drops some anti-Semitism. And yeah, that was a bummer moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. But then they uh, they basically say, like, I hate you. I'm leaving. I don't want to be with you. Mm-hmm. And then that last they immediately. Goes to like a whole, like, yeah, oh, they immediately baby. reconcile. Like, and oh, that he, he actually, seconds. <laughs> yeah, he actually, like, helps carry him and he says let's go buddy it's very sweet it's sort of like this is they're they're friends enough and they respect each other they just needed to like blow off some steam they're going through a very stressful time and sometimes (laughs) under stressful circumstances people take that out on uh the -hmm. people they're with that's all you sound like a real mediator jenna (laughs) that's exactly right they're they're going through a stressful time they just need to to process (laughs) their feelings so they find a shed, and they, uh, they're they not sure if they should go in, but Marshall says, when the ship's on fire, you go overboard, which is a line I remember from the first time I watched it, and I was like, that's an incredible line. It's a great, it's line. A great line, yeah. So they don't know what they're going to find. They go in, and they see a cow, and then sure they uh, see a, a German widow who does not speak a word of French. A lady. It is, uh, I don't even know, do, do they even give us her name in the movie? They do. Do her name is Elsa. Uh, Elsa. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's right. So it's uh, I keep just in, in my notes calling her Dita Parlo because it's played by the actress Dita Parlo, who we she will is see. Indeed. Yeah, we will see her soon in uh, La Delante. And legend. Apparently, apparently, Wells, when Wells was going to make Hearts of Darkness, wanted her to be um, Kurtz's mistress. Oh. Yeah. But obviously, he never ended. He never ended up making that movie, no. so uh, it didn't. Come so past, sad. He'd have been perfect for it. Yeah. Um. So, 
she's alone. Uh, her kid's asleep. She takes them in, and uh, like some German soldiers come by, but she kind of shoes them away. Um, so at this kind point, they know. Yeah, yeah. At this point, they know they can trust her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a widow. We find out that her husband and like a lot of her family members have been killed in uh, the various battles in World War One. Um, and Mari Shaw and her seem to have a mutual attraction, but they have this language barrier where Rosenthal speaks German, so she's got like a uh, a daughter who he's sort of, I guess, in the time that they're there, a surrogate father figure yeah. to her almost, and it's like t- talks with her, and and they do this some Christmas stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a Christmas movie. Yeah, it's a Christmas movie. Um, they make like a little nativity. Yeah, I'm say, it looks the, like they're like basically playing with dolls, kind of. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think it's that same night, isn't it? Christmas night that Marshall and Elsa finally. Uh, I don't. They don't make out, but they like embrace. embrace? I, was, I literally was going to say the word embrace. I'm like, I don't know how else to describe that. They embrace, yes. So. Um, and then apparently the next morning overnight, she managed to learn a little French. Like, not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Enough. They, yeah. they talk to each other like, uh, okay, I keep going back to Life and Death at Colonel Blub here, but um, how Theo and um, Clive talk to each other, which is like mm-hmm. through a few words spoken very rudimentarily. Ugh, I could not say that word. Well, th- this movie does, I think, have a lot in common with um, Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. Both really in, like. Uh, where it's when it was made and how it's like reflecting on the its sensibilities yeah yeah how how it's reflecting on like earlier wars in the on the eve or on the brink of world war ii um but also like the uh the eric von stroheim and bolgio relationship i think is pretty similar to the uh, a very different outcome though yeah the candy and teo relationship in that um no surprise, I, I prefer the Candy and Dale relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to top that one because that movie uh, is that movie in the any of the books? It's in book two. Okay, because otherwise, would have so drafted it. So many no. good, so many good movies are in book two. I mean, there's a lot of good movies in book one too. But yeah, but like, I don't have a single Archer's movie in book one. It's hurting me real bad. That's weird. It's weird. Well, there is Peeping Tom. Yeah. Is that your least Pressburg favorite? Is the better of the two. Well, it's not a it's not an Archer's movie. Uh, it's just a Powell. Yeah, it's just oh, Michael, Michael Powell. Powell. Okay. There's no Pressburger there, which makes it inherently worse because I kind of like him hmm. more than Powell. Wow, rude. No, Peeping Tom rules. It's Peeping a, Tom is very good. It is very good, but it's fucked yeah. up. Oh yeah, it's, but, um, it's real fucked up. Not not that Archer's films weren't fucked up. It's like Black Narcissus and stuff. Maybe not as fucked up as Peeping Tom, but... Peeping Tom wouldn't be afraid. fucked up if you made it today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it about a literal uh, Peeping Tom? Do you not yeah. know what it's about? I, oh I mean, I know what a Peeping Tom is, but no, I've never seen the movie, so... It's like the worst Peeping Tom you Yeah, it's imagine. a Peeping Tom taken to the extreme. Oh, fun. Sounds good. Yeah. It's horrifying. Awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm more excited to watch it now. Sounds interesting. Yeah, it's it's cool movie um 
So whatever, Dita right. Parlo is speaking French a little bit now. Um, they are like planning on leaving, and Marshall basically says he he couldn't bear to tell her that they're going. So um, Rosenthal does it for her, and she's yeah. like acquiesced at least to the extent that she was prepared for this. That it's I love the the, the her response is just like I knew you guys were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 but she's she still like. She's sad. Over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just like an inevitability, but she wasn't surprised by it or anything. Yeah. Um, I, I like her line of, I knew how happy, uh, if you knew how happy I've been to hear your footsteps around the house. No. It's just like a sad. Little, that is one of the, it's a, a sweet really little nice romantic line lines. for like, yeah. yeah. Especially like, I don't know, poor widow and so lonely yeah. and yeah. Do you guys think that, um, I was sort of reminded of, uh, the scene, I think it's about halfway through 1917 where he's like at night and he sees the woman with the baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, that reminds, that sure. reminds me of this moment. Yeah, he hides bit. out. Yeah. yeah, he, yeah. I don't like that scene in 1917 though. Why not? I don't like a lot of 1917. I was going to say, you just don't like that movie. I like that movie. Um, it's yeah, it's, like that it's movie. an okay movie. It's just like so much of it feels like needless. <laughs> You know what? You know what else was needless? World War One. World War One. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it, it insists upon itself. I'm sure. Oh, don't. Um, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't make I, me I enjoy didn't it do it for less. Godfather for you, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, that's actually a really great comparison, though, because uh, that now that I think of it, yeah, that has that kind of same vibe. I mean, obviously, he's with her for what, like, thirty minutes in 1917, or I guess mm. not even thirty minutes. He's there for like ten minutes since that freaking movie happens. Yes, and, that movie happens. Minutes, that movie happens in real time. So, uh, <sighs> but, uh, good movie. Yeah, I like I like that scene. Yeah, I it's in, like a little respite from uh, yeah. constantly being bombed and like being inside for a little bit. I think it's yeah. yeah necessary. What what if we just didn't film movies in real time? I like them. I like real time movies. I like them. Victoria. <sighs> Victoria. Uh, yeah. The thing about Victoria though is Victoria is legit. That is a yeah. that is not stitched together. That is a. Filmed no live, stitching. one take. It was their third try. Uh, everyone should watch. Victoria. I haven't seen this movie. We, we've t- I thought we've talked about yeah, it. We've talked about it. It's like a two-hour, twenty-minute one. Yeah, it's a. Ugh. It has a. It has our our handsome friend uh, Franz Rogowski in it. Yeah, it's good. A cool movie. Yeah. Don't know who that is. Oh, he's the guy from the the movies. <laughs> he's the, yeah, he's the guy from <laughs> the movies. <laughs> He's great. <laughs> Sorry, I, I couldn't remember Chris Christian Petzold. He's name. yeah, he's the guy from the Christian Petzold movies. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, my Victoria story is that I uh, put it on for Matt without telling him anything about it, and like. Four, How long did it take for him to notice? Forty minutes in, I turned to him and I go, "You haven't said anything. Have you noticed anything about this movie?" And he was like, "No, what?" And he was like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like a very compulsive, like a very like it. it it's like a very you know propulsive thriller kind of yeah, yeah and so i think he was just like really engaged with what was happening and i was like watch the camera and then he was like oh shit <laughs> it's like yeah they haven't had any I th- cuts i yet. think a, i think a lot of that is like maybe subconscious like even if you don't know your it, brain you fills feel in it, yeah. yeah like your brain just sort of assumes if you're not looking for it i think like you're yeah you'll just sort of you won't notice it after a while but it was because i mean the movie's very stressful to watch <laughs> and i don't know how much of it is like because I, I knew so that it was stressful. a one or going into yeah, it. i don't know how know. much of it is like that knowledge or 
but the shit that's happening they travel the through also... so many locations i literally yeah. like can't believe that that movie happens in real time it's crazy it also goes from like dark to light anyway um yeah and there's some set piece stuff that uh is challenging yeah i think there's sorry like, we, are, yeah. we are digressing cool. but that movie's really i cool. have cool. nothing to add to this discussion that movie is now, really cool except... um and i like real-time movies and i think we should make more of them that's uh, my take. Depends. I'm, I'm trying. I think I've. I think there's one or two that I like, but just in general. My dinner with Andre. I'm pretty sure is like the length of a long meal. Mm-hmm. That that's a good movie. That's a real good movie. Um, there, we have editing for a reason, though. Like sure. I'm not saying all movies should be in real time. <laughs> no, um, but, no I, I but I don't object to that. I'll I'll still go back to the scene from 1917 where if spoilers for that movie. Sorry, but um, you're allowed. Where, where uh, King Joffrey's little brother. What's Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Dean Dean Charles Chapman is the actor. Dean name. Charles Chapman, but like, there's no way that's he just his like, name. It's his name. They're they're like in the middle of really? nowhere. They get attacked by a crashing love, pilot. Love that plane flying through that like structure. It looks cool. It does look cool. He get he then gets killed by him, and you're like, oh no, he's in the middle of nowhere. You can't save. And you turn around, and there's this the massive fucking caravan. It's, yeah. it's like, what if we just cut? What if we said that there was a change in the time nope. of day? This is so stupid. <laughs> this is pet peeve. But then me. Mark Strong is there, and everything is good because Mark. The Strong Mark is Mark there. Strong is very good in that movie. Yeah. Anything Mark Strong shows up in, he's yeah. very strong in. Yeah, he's 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 strong indeed. He's aptly named. Yeah. Yeah, he really is. Yeah, I yeah whatever. We don't just keep talking about 1917. I like that movie, even though I also I just I find it so stressful like all the individual like i was just on tv the other day and i caught the part where he has to like climb over the like sort of oh the, the, the trap yeah like the little wire that little things. wire thing oh my god and it's just ah, oh. it's that <laughs> scene from entrapment with uh catherine zeta jones <laughs> exactly but much less sexy i have to say I another movie I, I haven't seen <laughs> you've never seen entrapment no, I'm looking at it. I mean, out. that movie. That's, if you weren't, if you weren't like out, if you weren't a teenager in the late I was going to say, yeah, that, that. Dylan, don't you like Cleo from five to seven? Yes, that is one I do like. Um, did I, in fact, Google <laughs> real time movies? Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, my favorite, of course. I was wondering. My favorite, I was wondering course, what that meant because I was thinking of Entrapment still. I was like, I'm where sorry. is she going with this? <laughs> sorry. Um, my favorite, of course, is. Um, uh, High Noon's a good one. Uh, before sunset. Yep. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Very. I, I don't like it when I feel like like in the nineteen seventeen thing where it's just like it doesn't make any sense for why this scene has to be sure. in real time because we just had this massive crash in the middle of nowhere where we couldn't get for help and help was literally a camera turn away. Also, to, to be to, to undermine our entire argument and also to object to it the fact that it ultimately is not a real-time movie he gets yeah, knocked yeah. out and passes out for hours and hours go by in the middle when of it when that happened so, it made me even angrier that it's, it's like actually, you did it it's actually two parts it, it, it takes place in two chunks of real time but it, i now i actually want to object to it being on this list of movies that take place in real time because uh, it drove me crazy it was like if you're gonna cut once that like it just no i like it it's a cut like halfway through the movie it's perfect it's like a little uh intermission due to mm-hmm. like uh head but if you're gonna do that then just do cuts in the rest of the movie god no it's a better movie than that 
No. You know, Look, I don't, think you know people, what's a, I don't think people should cut. You know what's a good movie? Sorry, I'm, I'm just looking at this list. I, I, we are on a time crunch. It is 1 o'clock. I think Nick oh. has to go. But do you guys like Run, Lola, Run, speaking of being a teenager in the late 90s? I haven't seen it since I was a teenager in the late okay. 90s, but loved it back then. God, I, that is one I would pick up from Blockbuster and just watch <laughs> all the time. I uh, love I, that I, movie. I, no idea if I will just say... Up. I I wasn't a teenager in the late so you, 90s. Have you, heard of Ru- it, have you heard of Run? Oh, yes, 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 yes. yes. That one I do know. I don't know. I don't know what people have heard of. Um, yeah. Some of your rules. Or at least it did when I was, you know, well, okay. 14. I what about for now. live movies? What about Birdman? No. <laughs> that was just... Thank you. Joke. All right, let's move on. <laughs> no. I made my point. Wait, do you mean Birdman or the... The Unexpected, unexpected Virtue of Ignorance? Unexpected, yeah, I can never remember. That Stupid. is... That movie. Not on this list of real time yeah, movies. In their face. What because because yeah. they, they do like a little camera pan or what? what is, it's like a time lapse of like when it goes from like the night into the morning. Oh, it just like oh, does like see, the that's time right. lapse thing. It does that, yeah. It at least does it more than the fucking cut in the middle of nineteen seventeen. I had no, no idea you like disliked nineteen seventeen this much. I gave it three out of five on Letterbox because. Each scene is really good, but what if we just cut in between the scenes? Like, what if what if each scene was like a wonder? Like that would have been fine. What if we didn't? <laughs> yeah, because then we would what make this movie narrative presupposes sense. Is. What if we just what made we narrative sense in a movie? Also, I think the thing that uh, 1917 absolutely has going for it in its favor is that it didn't win Best Picture. Um, yes. So I can look yes. back and be like, 1917 was great. I loved watching yeah, it. Fun, fun movie. movie. 1917 is okay. Um, and it's okay. The fact but the, the it, one bu- bugs me. That's so funny. Sorry, uh, we got to wrap up, guys. <laughs> so they, well, we're uh, at the end of the movie. So. That's true. Yeah, these, that's guys, true. these guys leave. Uh, the plan is if uh, Marshall lives through the war he's going to come back and he's going to get uh elsa and he's going to get lottie and he's going to bring him back to france yep and And, uh hopefully he'll learn some german or she'll pick up some more french in the meantime yeah they'll figure it out i'll figure it out they'll both speak english like uh oh he doesn't speak english yeah he has to learn that too um so they uh you know walk through the woods and then some german soldiers see them and they start shooting at them but Turns out they're in Switzerland. Yeah. So they're uh, good news. They're they're, they were this close to the Swiss border the whole time. They're home free. Yeah. There, there were two things that that reminded me of. One was um, sound of music. Sure, of course. Mm-hmm. And two was uh, the human condition because I just watched that, which someone escapes from a POW camp and then walks through the snow. Oh, yeah. Sure. At the end of the movie, and um, different outcomes. I'm guessing but it doesn't end I was so just, well. Uh. It's called the human condition. I, the human condition could be good. I don't know. I mean, I know it's not, but it could be. It's Misaski Kobayashi. There's. It's not good. Yeah. That I, <laughs> that I have heard. Um, uh, but yeah, I was just imagining the same sort of fate for two of them in that location. So my question to you guys is, um, do you think that Marshall goes back? Or is that the grand illusion? Mm. No, God, no. He no. goes back. Oh, I, I was gonna say no. I don't think he does. I think it's like a nice promise that a lot of soldiers say in the war that they're gonna go back, and then how often does that actually happen? I think he attempts to go back, and on his way, he, he gets in into war. a car accident. <laughs> <sighs> uh, I like to think he goes back. 
Yeah. I don't know why I have that. Usually I like have like the most romantic take on romantic anything, and I don't yeah, know why know. I'm like the. I don't know. Cynical I feel like I'm a bit of a romantic yeah, too. Yeah, you are. Nick, Nick's not the romantic. That's true. I, I sort of am. I, I have the well, romantic take on the end of the um, same uh, level. I think we're a very romantic podcast in general, but I think Jen and I are a little bit on the yeah, higher side. Yeah, Th- through the olive trees, I also have the romantic reading on the end of that. Mm-hmm. Movie, um, um, yeah. I think he goes. I think he goes back, assuming he I doesn't he get does. reenlisted. Yeah, uh, which <laughs> yeah he probably assuming he would've. lives long enough to go back, which is the the big caveat, anyway. I yeah. will say, um, kind of wish that like how good the stuff was at the um, farmhouse with uh, Elsa. I wish that was just a different movie because the ending of, I think it could have ended at Boldia's death. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's the same ending, it's just they run away and we'll see what happens to them. Yeah. It's left open. But that whole section with Elsa is so good, I just wish that was like a 90 minute movie. We could have had a sequel, Grand Illusion Part 2. Sure. The Grandeur Illusion. <laughs> um, but, yeah. It's not really even a problem with the movie, it's just like, yeah. Yeah. No, Fair I enough. like it, and uh, I'm going to pull up an Ebert quote. Um, that sort of ties it in one big bow, which is why it's there. It says, uh, they're given shelter by a farm widow who sees security in Maréchal, and perhaps Renoir is whispering that the true class connection across enemy lines is between the workers, not the rulers. Yes! That was one of the ones I had. Yeah. The one I have is, it's not a movie about a prison scape, nor is it a chicanistic in its politics. It's a meditation on the collapse of the old order of the European civilization. Which um, that really is kind of what happened in yep. World War One, the like empires and rulers and shit were like out the window. Um, could have had a could have had a brand new world view of what was going to happen after we got rid of all that shitty classism, um, but instead we just decided to create even shittier classism. So mm. well, I don't know about shittier, but <laughs> also also bad. shitty yeah. also shitty classism. So bad. Um, it it there there was one question um, that that I forgot to ask that I had, which is um, in sort of in keep in, in dovetailing with that is uh, why does Bolgio like sacrifice himself for the escape of these two guys? Where uh, it doesn't seem like they're imminently in threat of death the way the guys are in like the Great Escape or yeah. um, like Andy Dufresne is in Shawshank Redemption. Like yeah. why does he go to such lengths? And to me, it's sort of like a, a repudiation of his uh, own class and in support of like these other guys who um, Eric von Stroheim uh, like didn't respect. And this is, this is Boldio's way of saying like these, these people's lives are actually like as they valuable matter. as ours. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's right. You need to figure out a new way to live. He says something like yeah. that, but like you need to go on with something else. You need. You'll I need. Yeah. Exactly. It's a. I'll really find it because I'm pretty line. sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure I have it written down. But what was your quote, Jana? Oh, I had the same one uh, that we already read about the. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Those were two. They're two. This is one of Ebert's best essays. It's well. It's a really good essay. Also, it doesn't have sort of. Um, I mean, a lot of it, as far as, like, very good punchy quotes and everything, there's a couple, but really, um, it's fascinating reading about, like, the actual sort of history of the film itself and what happened oh, to yeah, it yeah. and, like, It's Stroma. a fantastic analysis. Yeah, it's a of... really, yeah, it's a really, really interesting write-up. I did yeah. wish we had, like, this, 
I went to a screening and the actual place where the prison camps were held and Jean Renoir comes out of retirement. I was like actually expecting that. I literally was like went to the essay. I was like, all right, can't wait to hear the like wild situation in which Ebert saw this movie. But then no, it's it's just about the, you know, sort of the history. Yeah. The film itself. As much as I I do love those wild Ebert stories, I think this is the best written essay so far. Yeah. So I, f- I found that quote. Um, Boldio says to uh, von Raffenstein, um, not like not to pity him, and for him it'll be all over soon. But you'll have to carry on, and he says, and carry on a futile existence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so thumbs up or down, Dylan? You're going up. Jenna, you're going up. Mm-hmm. I am going up. Uh, stars, Dylan. How many are you going to go? Four. Four. Jenna. I'll go four. I'm going for it too. Boom! No complaints. I still, I do still two, like rules two, of the game two, better. Two all but... fours out of out of th- yeah. in our last three movies. Yeah. Well, it's a good run. Yeah, I, d- I do like rules of the game better too. Yeah. But... I think so. T- I think so too. But it's it's honestly pretty close for me. Um, okay. Rules of the game does like it's an incredible movie. Yeah, it's a banger. It's a fun movie. Yeah. Um. I'm just. Do you guys want to like rattle off real quick what we've been watching? Sure. I haven't seen much, so that's fine by me. I haven't um, done too much either. I already told all my good stories about uh, going to the movies. Um, I um, oh, because I know everyone is very invested in this. I finished my Lost rewatch, so I made it through awesome. the Lost finale, so that's done. Uh, which means I will get back to um, Twin Peaks soon. Although now I'm also watching Virgin River on Netflix. I just I got a, I got a lot of TV watching going on, but. Since we last talked, um, I watched Fear Street 1994 on Netflix. Um, it's fun. It was not as fun as I was hoping it would be. It was a little disappointing. Gotcha. Um, but I'll catch up with the others uh, soon. And then we already mentioned uh, Friday night I saw Old, uh, which I enjoyed. And um, then last night I went to an outdoor screening of Pulp Fiction, um, yeah. which is a pretty good movie. <sighs> Gotta say, had a good time. Um, yep. Yeah, it's good stuff. I will say, um, a lot of good clapping. That's always an audience that claps and cheers and everything. But the real highlight was um, everybody booing when Harvey Weinstein's name came up on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Loud, raucous booing. Um, (sighs) That was fun. Um, Yeah, so that's that's all I've seen. Yeah, um, for me, I have only seen this week. I did a rewatch of All That Heaven Allows, which I had just seen. And I did a rewatch of Punch Trick Love, which I had just seen. Um, I have, <laughs> I can't really add much to either of those things, but that's been it. I, I wish I could have seen, uh, Olden, um, Pig. Pig. We'll talk about him next time. Yeah. Uh, which is my double feature for tonight. First time back at the movies. Woo! I was curious. I was like, I don't, I'm not going to try to pick which one I'm going to do actually first. Mm-hmm. I'm going to like go in and look at like which theater times work the best and, uh, Pig, Pig will be first. Nice. I think that's nice. the... <sighs> I don't know if that's the right. I I don't know that there is a right order. Um, I think I, I, there's. I see pros and cons for like. Yeah, I, I was. Each one. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a, a a good or bad way of doing that. You'll you'll have fun at both. I think. V- yeah. Very different movies. Although both, uh, yeah, one word, three letter movies. Weird. Yeah. Old Monoslavic movies. Uh, so I watched uh, a pair of Bill Duke-related movies, Deep Cover and No Sudden Move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He directed the first one and stars 
Yeah, star. He's like maybe sixth build in the second one. Yeah. If if that he he only has like a couple scenes. But he's but very he's memorable. Good. Makes a big impression in his scenes. Yeah. As yeah. he he's always, as he he's always does. I, yeah. I wanted more of him in it. Um, but yeah, yeah sure. I, I liked it. Uh, I watched Pepe Lemoco, which also stars uh, John Gebben, just because I wanted to see something else that he was in, uh, which is a very good movie. Um, rewatched Winter Light, the Bergman movie, and then on the Criterion disc, there's a two and a half hour making of called <laughs> Ink. Ingmar Bergman makes a movie, and it's by the guy who directed like uh, "I'm Curious Yellow." Oh Jesus! Which is which? Is pretty interesting uh, making of feature. Um, I watched "The Silent Partner," which is uh, I said on our Twitter, perhaps yeah. one of the peak uh, great movies pod movies, in that it has Elliot Gould and it has Christopher Plummer, and it is a Christmas movie. I'm excited. I'm gonna have to watch that soon. It's very stressful. Uh, it's Awesome. Quite good. The movie rules. And then last night I watched one of the uh, Columbia Noir movies from the Indicator box set called Drive a Crooked Road. Nice. Which, uh, stars Mickey Rooney is a uh, wannabe race car driver who gets himself caught up in some trouble. So mm. pretty cool oh, movie. No. Sounds good. Had a good time with it. All right. Uh, if you have uh, thoughts on this movie, you can... Find us at uh, Great Movies Pod on Twitter, and you can also follow us on Letterboxd at the same uh, name. And thanks, as always, to our buddy Scott Brady for our artwork. You can find him on Twitter at S Brady Artist. And next week, we are talking about Greed, the movie directed by uh, Von Rothenstein himself. I was going to say, Eric. what a fortuitous double feature. Yeah. Yeah, Eric, Eric von Stroheim's um, previously seven-hour and then two-hour and now four-hour partially restored. What we need uh, to get we need to get that epic. back up to seven just for Jana, oh just for Jana. Is it so? It's, it's four currently. So like, okay, that's what it is on iTunes. Yeah. Also, I can't believe it's not streaming anywhere. Like. You know, usually these yeah, old you'd movies, think it, it you'd would, think it would be hanging out somewhere, but I guess I'm It's got to be uh, a public this. domain by this Yeah, point. but I guess it's I'm like renting it on iTunes. Old. That's fascinating. Okay. It's also on Amazon, right? Yeah, it's Amazon on iTunes, too. All the usual spots if you want to yeah. rent it. Um, the poster is so cool. Um, I think the poster made me excited that it was on, uh, on Letterboxd. Letterboxd. Yeah. Because the, the Amazon poster is pretty boring. No, the poster on Letterboxd is awesome. The Amazon posters are always boring. And it made me think it was going to be a horror movie. Um but alas. The horror is the greed itself. I mean, apparently. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, that's a cool poster. Isn't it oh, a cool no. poster? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I like that. See why I thought it was like a monster movie or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not. Greed oh. is the monster. Sure. So. It's been said that greed is good. For lack of a better word. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that is all. We'll talk about all four hours of that movie next week. Roger out. Roger, Roger out. out. All right, well, have fun, guys. I'm going to go take a nap. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people. Um, so the, go ahead. I was just gonna say it's like the Starship Troopers scene where they're all in the showers, saying why they want to be there. 
Sure, yeah. I, I, I think Paul Verhaven went straight for the Grand Illusion thing right there. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering when Starship Troopers was going to come up in this episode. <laughs> come Had to at context. some point. <laughs> All right, one second. I'm going to be right back. Okay. I actually brought up Hi. Starship Troopers yesterday when we were talking about Cronenberg because uh, uh, yeah. Nelly, Nelly was saying how much she likes the Cronenberg movies and I was like, yeah, you liked um, The Thing too, mm-hmm. but I was surprised that she didn't go as hard for um, They Live and she's like, yeah, it was just a little too, like she she liked it mm-hmm. but didn't love it like The Thing. She's like, it was a little too like goofy and not enough, ab- to, not enough abjectly terrifying body horror for her. Well, yeah, yeah that too. <laughs> no, it was, I think it was that it was too much of like a social, Ugh. like a, like a almost straight Obey. up comedic social commentary. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's kind of kind of like Starship Troopers. I don't think she's like that big a fan of. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, we only got like a half hour into Scanners before she uh, it, started falling asleep. Yeah. Excuse me. Speaking of movies that are like kind of weirdly paced, Scanners like it opens up pretty strong, and then it kind of just like nothing happens for a while, and then oh really? Yeah, um, but it 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 picks back up again. Don't worry. Uh, spoiler alert: some some heads explode. Yeah, we got we saw that. Say, you saw the, like, it happened. That happens I, very early on. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I only know one thing about this movie, and and That's it's in a gift that you probably literally seen the only thing I knew about it. I can't even remember why I like why we watched it. I think I just like. It was one of those nights it was like on Criterion Channel or whatever. And we were mm-hmm. like, oh, Scanners, I've heard of that. Um, yeah. She w- she wasn't bored by it. It was just like, it was, we started yeah. it at like after 1030, I think. Yeah. So. That's fair. All right. Moving on. 